the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Bullington Capital Report, hosted by Bill Bullington. For the next hour, you'll receive information on current market conditions and trends that could affect your financial future. If you have a question, you can participate in today's program by calling 216-901-0945. That's 216-901-0WHK. You can also reach Bill by going to his website, BullingtonCapital.com. And now, here's Bill Bullington. Well, welcome back. Everybody's have a good has had a good week <laughs> and is looking for a uh, forward to a great Memorial Day weekend. I'd like to take a minute to shout out to all the people who have served for our military and, and actually just across the board. You get healthcare workers, firemen, policemen. And I know this is a uh, Memorial Day for uh, generally for people who have served in the military and that that's a great thing. It's awesome. Thank you very much. Um, Got a, a couple different topics. I was going to have quite a few more topics, but Microsoft decided to update their software overnight, and they've actually excluded anything that's non-Microsoft software from starting up on my machine right now. So I'm per- pretty sure I'm going to be on the phone uh, with tech support for probably the better part of today after the radio show. The uh, And uh, I'll tell you what, talk about aggravating. Holy cow. Yeah, they disabled their competitor software. Really, you know, that's mind-boggling. And uh, so, anyway, <laughs> now that I've gotten that out of the way, just uh, trying to pay attention to a lot of the developments in uh, biotech and a lot of the um, the progress that they're making towards getting vaccines, towards developing antibodies, and it's going pretty quickly. Uh, it really is. It's never going to be as fast as we would like it to be. And I've had a lot of questions throughout the week. Well, what do you think? Do you think the market's going to have a, uh, uh, a V-shaped recovery? It'll bounce right back. And, and, and I, I kind of doubt it. I kind of think it, you'll probably be stuck in a, in a little trading range for a while. Um, up or down. You know, I'm not sure what the magnitude's going to be because nobody is. But I like the speed at the way things are moving. And the entire world is working on this problem and getting a little closer. Uh, Some of the results that are coming out are fairly promising. That's pretty good. It'll be really good in the long run for things related to medical. So if you're looking for a theme, an investment theme, I think you look into a lot of the medical companies, not all of them, because it's actually hurt an awful lot of companies. I mean, a lot of, Companies in the medical environment not being able to do procedures, not being able to see as many patients, it's it's really hurt them in the short run. And that'll take a little time to recover from. Uh, ultimately, I think it, it leads to larger 
than before medical industries. And there is a way, I, this thought just dawned on me, uh, there are ways of um, capturing a lot of that. And a large part of it's with funds that have been around for a long time and have actually done quite well. In fact, I've always been aware of them, but I've also been aware that as a fiduciary, sometimes the government likes to tie our arms behind our, behind our backs. What they prescribe as how you should be managing your money. And yes, they're active in regulating investment advisors as to how your money is going to be managed. Think about that for a second. It's not that we are not allowed to go outside of those guidelines. It's that we have to explain and get in writing from a client that it's that they're okay with what we're doing. And uh, doing that on a one-by-one basis is very time-consuming. <laughs> That's why you have so many people, uh, so many robo-brokers or you know, planned programs. We've developed them ourselves to comply with government regulations. So, um, and I was just thinking recently, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm actually this year, I'm just going, going to, when I meet with my clients and we do our strategy sessions, um, I'm bringing these things up and I have been past couple of years. So as I've been getting together slowly with clients here, here, this might make a difference, but in order to do this, you know, we've got to have it. It's got to be very clear. Uh, it's got to be in writing. This is what we're doing. This is why, you know, here are the illustrations that we used. Uh, here's all the information that we used to make these decisions with. And so you have to document all that stuff. And once you do it, then, then you're fine. And I've got some illustrations. I would love to be able to send these out to the general public. Unfortunately, uh, my license to the data doesn't allow that. So if, if you'd like to see a lot of the stuff that you're, that I'm talking about, you know, feel free to give me a call and, you know, set up a, a, a meeting either on the phone or in person. But you have to have a, actually a formal meeting. You're not allowed to send information like the information that I have out to the masses is considered advertising. The SEC has general law, has regulations against that sort of thing. So you actually have to have a conversation and relationship to be able to access the kind of data with the license that I have to share that data which is not a big deal. It's not a bad thing. And I'd love to be able to send it out to, to everybody. Unfortunately, that just can't happen anymore. And um, I can't risk my career over that. So if you wanted to talk about these things, like uh, one of the models I've, I've been very ha- happy with, I mean, in the past three years has been pretty good relative to whatever, what else has gone on. Yeah, you've heard me talk about it tremendously. It was the semiconductor model. And I use exchange-traded funds for that. And I, I'm very pleased with how things have gone there. Uh, there's another model that's concentrated into what are considered mid-cap or medium-sized companies, stocks. Very happy with that. So those are types of things that are a little bit different than if you were to go to, say, I don't know, the uh, Vanguard, for example. Um, or any, you know... Actually, BlackRock, Vanguard, Fidelity, if, if you're going into an institutional type of portfolio manager, they're going to cover every single category there is, which is smart. Uh, and, I mean, stocks, bonds, cash, international stocks, commodities, they're, they're going to invest in everything. But if you saw something that was happening 
in the economy. So that's why I started talking about the semiconductor industry because 5G was rolling out. Now, you've heard me talk about that now for, I don't know, three years, three and a half years. And that's a great, you know, it, it's working well. The companies are doing well. Valuations are uh, relatively low, especially relative to where they were when the Internet bubble crashed. Holy cow. Valuations would have to go up about 250% to reach that level again. And if that happens, I'll be going, woohoo. So anyway, there's another, <laughs> there are another ways. There's another way. Uh, it just made me think of this. And the reason I've resisted this, there are two reasons. First of all, most of the companies that I'm going to spend a little bit of time talking about were actually already um, in the funds that we hold now. It's just that they're a much smaller percentage. And I think I would like to have going forward and uh you know like semiconductors like i have the semiconductor stocks that, that we invest in they're in like the small cap large cap mid cap funds that, that we hold they're in there it's just not a very large percentage so when you take and you add five or ten percent to that particular industry and it's five or ten percent of all the money that you have invested in stocks that can make a difference it should make a difference Hopefully over time, it'll make a big difference. That'd be nice. So what other industry am I, I talking about when it's like that? I'm going to keep the semiconductors. I'll let you know when I decide that it's, it's time to go on those. But the other sectors, really, it's uh, healthcare. You know, Not just one of the sectors. I, mean, I think the entire industry, and it's a big industry. And actually, the industry there is really diverse. You've got companies that make drugs. Uh, companies that do companies that do research on drugs, companies that produce drugs. Uh, you've got equipment manufacturers. You know, the, right now there's a a big shortage in a lot of the um, respirator machines that hospitals need, and that's going to lead to other types of equipment demands. The fact that doctors and hospitals are doing more over the internet. You know, it's not just semiconductors. The, those, the equipment does have semiconductors in it, but those people that manu- or the, the companies that manufacture those pieces of equipment that are buying the semiconductors, they're buying a whole bunch of other stuff too, packaging it up and then reselling it. That's the, actually, it's been that way forever in almost every industry. You buy parts from parts manufacturers, you combine the parts together into your product and you, Mark that up and you sell it. So that's another aspect of the industry. And I've, I've got a, a really nice model on, on this. So it's got healthcare, um, it's got equipment manufacturers, um, it's got actually every, every facet of healthcare is like covered in these three different funds that I've selected to try to take advantage of that, to be able to hopefully improve returns by putting more money into that area. And when you think about it, the fastest growing segment of the population in the United States is 60 and over. And you know what everybody has in common who's over the age of 60? Their body is wearing out. <laughs> That's what they have in common. It's also where the vast majority of the wealth in this country is, which explains partly why we spend 20% of GDP on health care. So all these things 
are really good long-term indicators for an industry. It doesn't mean it can't change. In the end, everything's going to change sooner or later. But for right now, the fastest growing segment, 60 and over, what do they spend uh, a large and increasing percentage of their income on? Healthcare. Voila. <laughs> That's why, and, and when you look at, at some of these funds, you look at, wow, man, a, a big portion of the returns from the S&P 500 and from the Russell 1000, from the Russell 3, a big percentage of the returns has come from that industry. That, that's pretty cool. So if we're able to overweight and maybe tilt a little bit into the favor of healthcare companies and that sector continues to do as well as it has in the past, it should help us out probably a lot. So anyway, I just finished this model. And see, one of the reasons, uh, two of the reasons I haven't done this earlier. The first one is that you know, restrictions on what is considered to be a diversified portfolio are varied. Uh, we have to be very cognizant of that. We come in as a fiduciary, we get audited and they start looking at composition of various client portfolios. If you're not running a standard, whatever that means, by the way, they tell you, you need to run this portfolio like this. And then they don't tell you what it is. <laughs> it's crazy. So if you look to some of the industry people like credit investment fiduciaries, AIF organization, they'll, they'll give you ideas. Um, Morningstar's got a lot of help out there. Fidelity has some help and almost everybody has an, an idea. Some of them are more helpful than others. But anyway, putting all this stuff together and especially the accredited investment fiduciary, they, they really help out quite a bit on keeping in touch. You know, these are the things that you probably should be looking at. And there are a bunch of lawyers that got together and formed this, <laughs> formed this consulting firm that, uh, it's very good. So anyway, once you get that covered, to go outside of something like that, to go outside of a standard balance fund, you got to have your your, your uh, client's permission. It's got to be in writing now. It literally has to be in writing. This is what we're doing, and you're okay with that. So it's not super complicated. It's just that you know you have to do it on every time, every family that you might have in your practice. We might have my practice, so. As we do these strategy sessions, and I start bringing people up to date, and we're looking at a lot of things these these days. But the update and that that's that's part of the uh, the program. So be warned, all my clients, when I come up for the strategy session this over the next twelve months, I'm going to give you the option to be able to overweight certain industries in your portfolios. Industries I think are going to do better. Why do I think they're going to do better? Because the vast majority of the time the appreciation in companies in, in stocks will have a tendency to keep up with their increase in sales. Now think about that. That, that should make sense to you. If sales are, are rising quickly, isn't that a good thing for your business? And your profits should, um, notice I'm emphasizing the word should. Your profits should keep up with that over time. The longer you've been around, by the way, the profits can uh, have a tendency to keep up with it or actually grow faster than your sales do. 
Why is that? Well, because your fixed costs, those factories that you have, the employee salaries and all that, they tend to stay relatively fixed and not grow that fast. So if your sales are growing by 10 or 15% and, and your costs are only growing by 2 or 3%, guess what? Your profit margin is going up. It's expanding. That's a good thing. That's a really good thing. And uh, actually, you really don't have to, you don't need to know a whole lot more than that. I remember back when I was in college and was taking finance classes and the finance professor said, you might want to join the National Association of Investment Clubs. And it was 35 bucks. That was a lot of money back then. <laughs> and I got their their kit and I started studying it while I was going to school. And I thought, oh, this, yeah, this is pretty logical. Sales rise. Profits rise. They rise at different rates at different times because costs will fluctuate from time to time. In the long run, when Hershey's gets an increase in their costs, eventually they'll raise their prices and the price of Hershey bar is going to go up a little bit or they're going to switch to that smaller mold. (laughs) They weren't fooling me when I was a kid. I knew that candy bar was smaller and I was still paying a quarter for it. Imagine only paying a quarter for a big candy bar. <laughs> Those were the bigger candy bars. I remember when it went up to fifty cents. I was like, "What?" <laughs> so probably a good thing. I'd probably weigh about twice as much as I do now if, <laughs> if they didn't. But anyway, pretty basic in the long run. The sales growth drives everything, and when companies get it, when companies get a, overpriced or ahead of themselves. It's generally because people are forecasting huge growth in sales. And I hear the music. That means i got to take a real quick commercial break. This is Bill Bullington right here on 1420. Stay tuned. I'll be right back. This is where all the worry ends. This is where I see I don't mean to have control. This is where I admit. Well, welcome back. Hey, if you have a phone call, question, or comment, give us a call, 216-901-0945. If you hear something you'd like to talk to me about directly, you can go to my website and sign up there. Bill at BullingtonCapital.com is my email address, uh, or Bullington Capital is the website address. So feel free. Because I know there's, I typically talk about a lot of things and I go pretty fast, so... If you'd like to uh, have a conversation about that, feel free to give us a call there, and I'll be glad to talk to you about it. In fact, one of the uh, my missions for the remainder of, of my career is to try to keep things as simple as humanly possible. It's unbelievable the amount of garbage that gets published every day. You know why it gets published? Because they need to fill pages. <laughs> they need to sell ads. And it, it's... It's just wild to me. I mean, it happened before when I was new in the industry, before Al Gore invented the Internet. We used to uh, see a whole bunch of stuff out there. There were there were publications, magazines. You know, I remember going by the bookstore, and some of the bookstores still, Barnes & Noble still has a huge magazine section. Well, that was our that was our Internet of the day. When the Internet came along, it expanded greatly the ability to publish stuff. Why? Because you don't need a printing press. All you need is a computer. (laughs) 
So I can't remember how many millions of, of websites are actually created. Web pages are created every day, but it, it's a lot. And I just really have a tough time when I've spent an hour and a half reading something just to realize I really didn't need to know that. <laughs> that is so frustrating. Yeah, uh, and it happens like all the time. <laughs> so don't feel alone if you've had that same experience. We all go through that experience, and that's the modern day. I was thinking about that the other day. When my parents were my age or, or younger, their days in this area, in the Midwest where there was a lot of industry, okay, their days were going to factories, spending an awful lot of time in a factory, in a, in a job. It was very boring, and you had to do that to basically make a living, at least a lot of the jobs were. And then you had, you know, the regular accounting jobs and you had marketing jobs and all that kind of stuff. The, uh, and they put in a, an awful lot of hours and things moved a whole lot slower than they do today. Be, not that they weren't working hard. It was just that with the tools that they had, they had to work a lot harder to get the same amount of work accomplished. And sometimes I think people forget that, you know, productivity is off the charts. It, it's unbelievable how much more you can do. I mean, you can put up a, a blog post or just a Facebook post and all the followers that you have on Facebook can see it immediately. Do you know how many hours it would have taken you to print up a letter to send to all those people in the past? So, And that's one of the things I don't get about a lot of the productivity uh, analyzers from the Ivy League schools. They come out, well, we're not increasing productivity. What planet are you looking at? It's definitely not Earth. <laughs> we do way more than we've ever been able to do in a much shorter time period. And I guess it all depends on, uh, you know, kind of like beauty. It's in the eyes of the beholder. So I guess progress is in the eyes of the beholder. And uh, it has created an awful lot of free time, incidentally. And it's created a decrease in the workforce for a lot of manual labor as a lot of labor as a lot of that is automated but it's also increased the demand in technical areas so that's one of the reasons that before the pandemic hit we had all time uh, new lows in the unemployment rate so with change there's there's always going to be change there's always opportunity sometimes it's really hard to reach that stuff in uh you know, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm looking around. I know kids don't want to go to a vocational school, uh, which I would really have liked to have been able to do. I think that you can learn an awful lot of stuff there. I mean, plumbing's not going away. Uh, electricians, they're not going away. When I was, I really wanted to be an electrician when I was a kid. Uh, well, the first thing I wanted to be was a fighter pilot. The uh, And my plan at 12 years old was play football, Get a college scholarship because you have to have a college degree to be an officer and you got to be an officer to be a pilot. <laughs> that was, a, and you know what? I made it. I even got an aviator slot in the Marine Corps. I had an aviator slot in the Marine Corps. Three days before I had to ship out to Quantico, I had my appendix removed in an emergency surgery. So I had to show up in Quantico anyway. <laughs> It took them three days to process my paperwork in and five days to process me back out again. They said I couldn't complete training with the staples in my abdomen, which I was willing to do, by the way. Uh, 
That's how bad I wanted it. Anyway, long story short, that didn't work out, and I did. I ended up doing this instead. But uh, it's kind of interesting. I mean, I took economics, and by the way, don't get old, people, because I just lost my whole train of thought. <laughs> oh, I think I've been uh, quarantined too long. <laughs> Hey, if you have a question for us, the number is 216-901-0945, 216-901-0945. And realistically, the, uh, you know, I'm, a lot of things are, are relatively simple. Here's what's really hard. And, and people make it hard on themselves. They, they really do. We all do. This is something that everybody does. I've done it. Uh, when you first start, especially in this business, you get these questions from the general public and, I was really young when I first started in this business. So I, I felt like anybody that had gray hair probably knew a little bit more than I did. They had more experience than I did. What I didn't realize was that they were so busy in their regular lives that now they had accumulated a little bit of money and were ready to put it away. They were, they were a brand new beginner at investing, but they were a lot older. And I assumed that they'd been investing the whole time. Some of them had. But I also assume that they, they knew more than I did because they've been around a lot longer. That was a bad assumption. <laughs> I can tell you that was bad. There are certain ideas that people just won't give up. They won't give up the idea that you can't know the future exactly. And then they go out and they invest and they get upset when they are wrong. You know, just like a company called Hertz, you may have heard of it. And it really hurts me to speak of Hertz this way, but they've just formed, <laughs> they just filed for bankruptcy. Uh, that's, it's tough business, very tough business. And uh, it doesn't mean they're going away, by the way. It just means that they will be getting rid of some debt. Um, stockholders would lose money on their, on their stock, probably the whole thing. 99% of it at least. Okay. The bond, people that lent them money will probably get stuck as instead of their bonds. Uh, I don't, we won't know how that works out until they actually uh, emerge. But the bottom line is, you know, how could you predict that? How, and if they knew that it was coming, don't you think they would have done something differently? So, and, and that's my point. There's so much that it's kind of unpredictable. How do you, how do you manage that? Most people think you manage it by looking in a crystal ball that works. That's not necessary, by the way. It's not necessary. You can be successful without knowing exactly what the future holds. And the, the concept of being successful in investing with a future that's unknowable, it's called diversification. Because the things that you can know is that people will still eat. They're still going to drive cars. They're still going to wear clothing, hopefully. And they're still going to want to do things, uh, go to movies, how they get the movie, that might change, that it has changed. Yeah, They're still going to need entertainment. Basically, they're going to need all the things that they've always needed, the, the basic, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, basic needs for living. And then they have the wants that are on top of that. Those aren't going to go away. And companies that provide those are going to do those at a profit. If they don't do it at a profit, they'll end up not being in business. So that's kind of the way it's worked since the beginning of time. The past couple hundred years in this country, it's worked very well. 
It's probably going to continue. I don't see anything that's rising up that, that could stop that, at least not in the United States. Got a lot of challenges all over the world. We always have, always will. But the bottom line is when, when companies are allowed to raise money, why do, why do companies sell stock? Well, they sell stock to raise money, to put it into a business that they think is going to be successful. And I think that's a, a, a big thing you should probably keep in mind. You know, Procter & Gamble's been around over 100 years. Yeah, our, I think as long as people keep washing their clothes and you know, cleaning their houses, Procter & Gamble's already got a pretty good chance of still being here years from now. I think that's a, uh, uh, I think it probably will sell at a higher price 10 years from now. I don't know about the next two or three years. I have no idea. Neither does anybody else. And if they do have an idea and are telling you, I know where it's going to be, they, they're either delusional or they're not a nice person. <laughs> One of the two. I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and just think they're delusional. In other words, they don't know any better. Okay. So anyway, I got to take a real quick phone call. If you'd like to call us, 216-901-0945. And I've got Walter. Hey, 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 Bill. Hey. Um, a uh, couple of questions. Uh, I'm looking for uh, a list. I heard you talk about this a couple of weeks ago um, about dividend stocks that have a good profit margin. Yeah, actually, I was describing a um, a fund. Yeah. But uh, yeah, just if you want to uh, shoot me an email, I can send you a uh, a link on the internet that'll explain all that. In pretty good detail. <clears throat> it was called it was um, it was an exchange traded fund that's run by a company called First Trust, and I really liked the concept uh, of that fund, and I still do. I, I own the uh, security, so I'll be glad to send you uh, some information on that. Okay, because that's 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 an important thing, you know. I I know people, I have friends, and they're always looking for the big, high-paying dividend stocks, and I go be careful about those things oh, man, because that is, that's really dangerous. I mean, the yeah. higher the dividend, if the dividend is more than three times a 30-year treasury rate, there's a reason for that. It's called risk. You know, there, there's risk in there. Right. So there's, right. Yeah. So you, I'm glad you know that. The thing about the dividend is you got to always look to see how much debt they have. And then do they have any money left to reinvest in their business? Yeah. You know? yep. Is it all going to the dividend and paying off the debt? That's right. the problem. Yeah. A lot of times it all goes to the dividend and they increase more debt to be able to pay the dividend. That's really a bad situation because eventually that blows up. But uh, 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 I was going to ask you this question. I'm, I'm not, uh, I don't have access to the internet because they shut down the libraries, you know, the computer oh, section. Okay, sure. A friend of mine said that Buffett sold all the airline stocks. Uh, true? I heard that. I haven't verified it. Um, I know that for a long time, Buffett was not a big fan of airlines, and he wasn't the one that bought those stocks. He's got several guys that work for him that actually manage a big chunk of their money because it's too much for him to do by himself, and that's been that way for a long time now. But the uh, him personally, I mean, if, if you go back and read some of the earlier uh, art magazine articles that where he was quoted on airlines, um, he... Every time he invested in airline stocks, he you know he end up losing money. Didn't like it. The costs of the fuel—that's their number one cost, by the way. It, it's so volatile; it's incredibly difficult to do financial planning for, financial forecasting for the airlines themselves. Okay, and 
then the, the cost of labor is the second biggest cost. Uh, and, uh, and of course, the jet is not cheap either. <laughs> right, right. So you got all these really big costs that make the and they're extremely volatile, which makes it really hard to make. You want to talk about tough to make a prediction for? That's like you know that's mind boggling. Hershey's, on the other hand, I could even I could eat enough Hershey's myself. To keep them in business. <laughs> yeah. yeah, me too. Yeah. <laughs> but man, you want to talk about a tough industry. That airlines are just incredibly difficult. And so are cruise ships. I mean, because cruise ships, again, it, it costs a lot of money to fuel those things, much less all the staff that you have to have on board. And then the price of food. Now the cruise ship's got to load up on food because it's all anybody does on a cruise ship is is eating, you know, walk around and go back to their room and lay down. <laughs> but the uh, uh, those are tough. I mean, those are really tough businesses. I, I I'm not a big fan, but I, I was going to say though, if he did sell or somebody sold, that to me is an amateurish move on their part because you know, if you're going to sell, wait till things gradually get, you know, like Thanksgiving. You know, usually should be more travel then. So the stock price Yeah, see, the thing is that, you know, Berkshire Hathaway got special dispensation once upon a time. I don't know if they still have it or not, but they didn't have to report to you when they were buying or selling. Warren Buffett lobbied Congress and and got special dispensation. Like, yeah, we need to treat him specially because he's being taken advantage of, the poor multi-billionaire. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That really ticked me off. The uh, I, I was really upset by that. Because, you know, he was saying he was at a disadvantage because he was a multi-billionaire. <laughs> like, come on. The, uh, anyway, so yeah, I don't, you won't know when they sold those stocks. And uh, there are a bunch of things that you can do to essentially be, uh, flat the stock. I mean, you can sell deep in the money calls that hedges just as well, maybe better than selling. And, uh, um, you can buy puts. I mean, there's a ton of stuff. So you don't know, you know, when, and we will never know that. And it's actually, it's not even important that we know that it doesn't in the long run, it's not going to matter that much. It won't help you enough to, to make a big difference in your portfolio. So, um, got a, a spotlight on a stock. I'm not promoting it or anything, but, uh, it's in the field that you like, uh, semiconductors. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the rare tech stocks that I've seen that has a near monopolistic hold on it and it's had for quite a while. I uh, just want to mention it. You know, again, I'm not promoting or recommending right. this thing, but it's a company out of uh, Switzerland called ASML. That's the. Oh, I, I've held that stock. It's been very good for me. The uh, yeah, I, w- it, I wouldn't buy it and hold it. I just wouldn't do that because I'll, I'll come back to that after these commercial messages. Did you want to hang on? Okay. Okay. You're listening to Bill Bullington right here on. Oh man, I accidentally hang up. Hang on. Man. I'll be right back. You're listening to Bill Bullington 1420. Stay tuned. And we're back. You're listening to Bill Bullington. I'm here every Saturday morning from 11 to noon. Listen, if you'd like to set up a free, no-cost, get-acquainted meeting, I guess we can do, well, I have been doing almost everything by phone lately. Um, be glad to do that. Just reach out to me on my website, bullingtoncapital.com. 
you have any questions that you'd like to answer, you'd like to see one of these models, uh, we can do a screen sharing session. I can show you that way. And uh, once we've talked one-on-one, we've seen the information, I can actually send that over in a PDF. How, how's that? So anyway, I've got to go to the phones right now. If you'd like to call in, it's 216-901-0945. And uh, is this JR? This is Professor Bullington. How uh, are you? Hey, good. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I'm calling to be tutored to gain the greatest return on my equity investments. I know you're the man to do it. <laughs> well, I can try. <laughs> All right. Well, first, I would like uh, your Marine Corps um, story uh, kind of jogged my memory, or not that it is ever out of it, but I'd like to pay tribute to my paternal grandfather who went through France uh, with the Marine Corps all mm. through um 1917, 1918. Wow. Came back in a uh, full body cast. He lived to the ripe old age of 83. Wow. However, he um, he and the uh, his comrades, uh, we owe everything to them, and we will never be able to pay the debt that they or any of the service people do provide. Yes. And I want to do, uh, go on line with that. Uh, William, first, um, what's the name of the equity fund that has the dividend with a good uh, bottom line, companies with a, you know, decent bottom lines that pay a fair dividend. What's the name of that? Well, actually, there are quite a few. The one that I uh, talked about here was from a company called First Trust. And uh, I'm a little wary about uh, mentioning symbols anymore because uh, we've been warned. Uh, the uh, SEC, Ohio Department of Securities, they, uh, um, they, that could be construed as specific recommendations. So I, I understand completely. Yeah, I so I, I I can't do it on the radio, but if you want to call mm-hmm. and talk, you know, in the office, then I can do that. You know, so mm-hmm. that that's the thing. Uh, but I, I can tell you that the the method is mm-hmm. they're looking at uh, high quality, their definition of high quality balance sheets and companies that uh, pay the dividends, the largest dividends coming from those companies. And this one's a. It's not like the uh, there are a bunch of them out there now that. Now these days, uh, where the dividends are, have gone up five years in a row, or ten years, or twenty years in a row, and, and that's good. I mean, that, that's a good way to go about it too. I just happen to really like this one. I thought it was a a more novel approach, and it, and it made an awful lot of sense to me. Mm-hmm. And uh, mm-hmm. so I just liked it. And the you know, past you know ten years, uh, it's actually kept up with the S and P, which almost nothing is kept up with over that time period. Sure, but, uh, so, I would say. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all righty. I, I wanted to uh, give you a uh, big uh, vote of thanks and um, let you know I had invested. You had suggested semiconductor funds mm-hmm. or semiconductors. I invested in this Vantech uh, well, not too terribly long ago. It's had a nice little run. I think I'm up about 20, 25% in a matter of a couple of months. And um, you've whetted my appetite, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, I've, I've been. I think that's a macro trend too, and uh, that's mm-hmm. basically uh, what, we're, uh, what I'm trying to do now. Uh, and I'm, you know, if you're going to invest in individual stocks, I would use the strategy on the lookout for the bull website. Um, I had a, uh, I haven't been as active in that as I'm, I will be over the next few months. We, I had uh, Mike mm-hmm. drop the price down to ten bucks a month, so that's good. Mm-hmm. The uh, mm-hmm. we're going to do a stock of the week. 
um, or I'm going to do a stock of the week in uh, just a little blurb on the uh, company because I, I think if uh-huh. you're if you're going to manage a portion of your money in individual stocks, you've got to have mm-hmm. a pl- you got to have a plan, and the plan mm-hmm. the plan shouldn't be buy it, set it, and forget it because oh, yeah, that 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 could be really dangerous, really dangerous. I think you got to have a plan. You have to know approximately if you're a value investor. Okay, when it, what do you do when it's no longer undervalued? You know, I mm-hmm. would I would sell it. If you're looking at momentum, what do you do when the momentum dies? Well, I would sell it. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that we'll be talking a lot more about that in the future and uh, mm-hmm. trying to put some information out on that and kind of keep it up to date. But the uh, mm-hmm. the the main thing is that you have a a strategy and one of the worst things about talking about individual stocks is I know for a fact that when people hear me mention a stock or a fund, they'll go out and buy it and they will not look at it again until it crashes. <laughs> and, and and by the way, yeah. every stock and every fund crashes at some point in time. <laughs> now, some of them will rise up from the ashes and run again. But so if you hang on to some of them, for a long enough time period, you might get lucky, and it's going to be luck. You know, it's basically going to be mm-hmm. luck. So you've, you've got to do things. You, you can't just, my, my point is, you can't just set it and forget it. And that's one of the reasons that the government came out with all these rules on diversification and what qualifies as a diversified for, portfolio is they're going, hey, these guys are killing themselves. <laughs> they're, they're saving up money, and they're blowing it because they don't know how to manage the money. So we're going to set these rules and regulations in place so that the advisors are forced to take a certain amount of diversification. And is it, this, um, excuse me, the program or the, is all the information you talked about available on the website as far as the uh, uh, newsletter? Oh, that's actually the lookout for the bull. That's a, a portion of what we talked about today. But uh, it, that's just individual stocks, and it's all momentum investing. It's it's not value okay. investing. Uh, it's not right. – Here's one of the things about most people consider themselves value investors. I want to buy something that I think is worth more than it's currently selling for. That's basically what value is. And I'm willing to be patient. I'm willing to wait. And if I'm a long-term investor and I really like it, like uh, a Procter & Gamble or Hershey's, those products that you use fairly frequently, Clorox, I'm going to buy those stocks when they come down in price because they all come down sooner or later. And and when they come to a good price, I'm going to pick it up and I'm going to hang on to it maybe five or ten years unless it gets really overpriced. Okay, If it gets ahead of itself, maybe I'll let it go. Or if I'm Warren Buffett and I own Coke, maybe I don't let it go. And here we are 20 years later and it's selling below the price it was 20 years ago. Yeah, no, we don't want that. Type no. Of <laughs> so you, you got to have – that's one of the things I like about funds. The fund mm-hmm. is unemotional. It makes a decision mm-hmm. based on the math. If the stock yeah. is no longer considered undervalued, it's gone. <laughs> that, that's the thing I really like about the funds because you can read about these funds and you can read about how they select the stocks and how they're going to sell those stocks. And it gives you a much better insight. And one of the reasons I really like funds is that it, one of the worst feelings is in the world is to get the industry right but pick the wrong stock. <laughs> And you see all, all the other stocks in that industry going up and making big profits, and yours is not. That's a horrible yeah. feeling. <laughs> so, so I think you're a lot safer when you're looking at, especially sectors. I mean, there are so many sector funds now. 
it's so much easier to do that. And if you're right, great. But you're, you're mm-hmm. still reducing the risk by having more than one company in that fund. So if you're right about the industry and uh, you avoid that, that mistake of picking the wrong stock in the industry that does well. Uh-huh. That know. makes sense. And I'm, I'm going to uh, ask you a question. It's more of a uh, specific one, personal to me. I'm uh, 67 years old. Mm-hmm. I would assume sector fund investing is probably a little more apropos for somebody of, of my age rather than specific stocks yeah. uh, in general. Is that true? Yep. I think it's true of any age, actually. Um, well, and, I, and, and I'm a big fan sure. in the sectors, too. I, I think that's actually where an active manager can make a big difference instead of just a uh, market cap weighted approach. Uh, market cap weighted has done very well in that sec- in that area, too. But mm-hmm. the individually managed where a guy's you know kicking the tires and looking at the companies making judgment calls has actually held up a lot better in sector investing than it has in index you know passive investing passive investing has beaten a lot of the the guys that go out and try to pick stocks uh for quite a while now and uh um i don't know if they'll ever come back i hope they do uh but it's just been a lot more successful in sectors than it has in broad categories one of the stocks that's uh, done quite well with this since this Chinese virus uh, struck us is is Costco. It was doing well prior to then. Uh, you think some of these stocks, because the demographics have changed a bit since uh, our bout with the coronavirus, do you see that uh, these are going to um, be long term winners, or is it more of a? Well, I think uh, Costco. You know, when you look. When you look at a company like a Costco, it's it's a really well managed company. Uh, the space uh-huh, that, uh-huh. the space that they're in is unbelievably competitive. I mean, it uh-huh. is incredibly competitive. They've managed to grow. They've managed to grow their sales and profit margins. I'm not uh, you know elated by the amount of growth, but I think it's a good solid company. And if I were to hold Costco, and if you held it, you know, for the past ten or fifteen years, you're going, hey, that's pretty good. The uh, if I were to uh-huh. do a, a stock like a Costco. I would probably sell calls against it because I don't think you're oh, going to sure. revenue. Yes. Yeah. I, I don't think you're going to get a Costco run up three or 400% in the next 12 months like Netflix might. Uh, and I also don't think, you know, Costco is probably going to drop 75 or 80% over the next 12 months like Netflix might. <laughs> kind of, kind of uh, the take on the AT&T and the uh, widows and orphans. Uh, well, AT and T is not for widows and orphans anymore. If you've looked at their businesses, not anymore. But in the fifties and sixties, yes, yeah, it was a different day. That that's not. They're not the same company. They don't compete in the same markets anymore. It, it's really you got to take a really hard look at that one. Anyway, I got to let you run here. Thank, thanks for calling okay. though. It was a good call. Sure, Thank you. Have- yep. You listen to Bill Bullington here every Saturday morning from eleven to noon. Have a good weekend, everybody. Good luck and good investing. just caught another edition of the Bullington Capital Report, broadcasting every Saturday at 11 a.m. on AM 1420, The Answer. If you have a question and you'd like to speak to Bill personally, you can call him at 330-664-0700. That's 330-664-0700. Or online at BullingtonCapital.com. That's BullingtonCapital.com. 
The preceding program has been paid for by Bullington Capital Management, LLC.